Is this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way, he needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promised mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! All right, calm down, everybody. Yeah, the rutting season is underway. We're into the month of October. You're listening to The Outsiders, powered by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. It's Podcast 77. And I'm Bryn Griffiths. He's Robin Brownlee. And joining us from Toronto is Jamie Campbell from Sportsnet. Obviously, Jamie, we got to talk a little baseball because that was one crazy, crazy ass weekend. Interesting. I thought you were having me on here to talk Formula One. <laughs> no. Uh, well, let me give you. Now, you, of course, are in the studio and uh, you're, you're doing all your stuff, Blue Jays, but you're watching two other games. So I'm at home flipping back and forth. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the, the Jays in Baltimore, the Yankees and the Marlins, and I'm watching the Nationals host the Red Sox. And the Blue Jays really just absolutely changed my viewing habits a little bit after what, maybe the third or fourth inning because it was such a blowout that I was able to only Mm -hmm. watch two games. But what a weekend, huh? I was doing the same thing, actually, and I was actually there. And I turned to Joe Siddle at one point and said, this is probably the first time in all of the years that I've been hosting Blue Jays Central where I've been present at the game and I'm barely watching the game itself because – the four games that I had up on the screen have to divert my attention physically away from looking out over the field. And I kept turning to Joe and asking him what just happened behind me. I heard the crowd roar. Was it a ground out to short? Was it a fly ball to right? What just transpired on the field in front of us? Because I wasn't watching. I was paying attention to the Red Sox and the Nationals. I was watching Tampa Bay and New York. I was keeping an eye on Seattle and Los Angeles, but that one didn't impact the Blue Jays anyway, and it kind of got out of hand early. Yeah. And, uh, And the funny part was, and I knew this would happen, because the Blue Jays scored so often and so frequently... And the game, based on capacity, was sold out. It didn't take long for people to figure out that they could come up to where our studio was to watch games that really mattered, knowing that the outcome at the game they were attending was pretty well assured. So the next thing you know, there must have been a thousand people gathered around our set watching the Red Sox and watching the Yankees. It was a most unique experience. You know, I really enjoyed uh, Joe Siddle's commentary to, to wrap things up, the big picture uh, part of the, of the, of the broadcast. Um, let's go there. This season had so many components. Uh, the nomadic Toronto Blue Jays uh, playing here, there, and everywhere. 
throughout the season. You come back, you get thir- what thirty six games in, in in Toronto. The ball club wins ninety plus games. Um, I thought it was a good season. Uh, it was an all over the place season, but. When you look back at everything you've had to absorb for this year, what's your takeaway, Jamie? Well, you referenced Joe Siddle and his reaction at the end of the broadcast yesterday. I've never seen that man cry, and I've known him now for, I think, 15 years. I've never seen him that emotional. Never. Um, I think what he was feeling is exactly what the fans were feeling and that for so long the anticipation was that that this team would be playing beyond Sunday and quite possibly further and suddenly that came to a screeching and very sudden halt and it got to him as I'm sure it got to a lot of people who were watching across the country and uh, present at the Rogers Center. My takeaway is this. You just witnessed one division with four teams that had at least 90 victories, which is unheard of. Yeah, That's how good the Blue Jays were this year. I seem to remember throughout the season, and I'm very active on social media, listening to people, reading people, suggesting that everything was wrong with this ball club. The bullpen was a waste of time and one of the worst they'd ever seen. Somebody was struggling at the plate at whatever point in the season and should be demoted if not traded. This particular pitcher is no good. Get rid of him. Um, uh, Not to mention the fact the manager's terrible and should be fired. And uh, Pat Gillick would have never have let this talented a team not make the postseason. That seems to be all the things that I read over the course of the season. And then we get to game 162. And what do they do? They won 91 games, 91 games. It was one of the best seasons the Blue Jays have ever had. And hey, they didn't make the playoffs. It's not their fault they didn't make the playoffs. And yet there are people that will say, well, it is their fault because they went on a particular stretch in late May where the blue, the bullpen blew every conceivable yeah. game. And, uh, you know, Marcus Simeon made a throwing error against Detroit that cost them a game, to which I say, that's baseball because you can also tabulate 10 or 15 games, notably one against Oakland when they were trailing eight to two in the eighth inning and one, you can tabulate all those games that they should have lost. So this is a 91 win team. That's what we witnessed over 162. And it just so happens that they weren't good enough to get into the postseason. And I have no trouble with that. I slept well after that game concluded on Sunday. I have no trouble with that. Because it was so fun to watch over the entirety of the season, I don't have a single moment. I don't have a single player. I can't pinpoint one thing that I could say was most memorable. To me, it was the journey start to finish. Well, it's funny because we were texting last night, and I used a bunch of different words like uh, exciting, frustrating, disappointing, disheartening, uh, encouraging. I, it's a gamut of emotions in so many ways when you take a look at at the season that they had. And as Robin pointed out too, traveling around and having to play the home games the way they did. I, but at, at the end of it, I'm like you, at, at the end of it last night as I'm watching an NFL game, which was kind of fun, I'm thinking to myself, really, you know what? 
Isn't that the kind of ride everybody wants to be taken on? It didn't work out this time. 91 wins is 91 wins, but that was a hell of a season. And it just makes me want to think about starting a season next month already because I'm, I'm kind of jacked up about it. And it takes a lot to get me excited about, about sports and particular teams because we, we've developed this, uh, this level of objectivity where we uh, don't necessarily cheer for teams, but cheer for guys wearing the jerseys. But I don't even know where to go with that. That let's try to turn that into a question. Do you well, see it the same way? Well, I'll, I'll say this: baseball provides a hook that the other professional sports just cannot. If you're say an S, oh sorry, they don't call them the Eskimos anymore, Elks, right? Yeah, the Elks. Elks. Yeah. If you're an Elks fan, you wait a week to see how they recovered from the loss or whether they add to the victory that you just witnessed. Uh, if you love the Edmonton Oilers and they lose an important game against Calgary on Saturday, well, maybe they're not going to play again until Wednesday in Nashville. And you have, what, a four-day stretch there to yeah. marinate yeah. over the win or the loss. Baseball's not that way. Baseball takes you by the hand every single day with the exception of the odd Monday or Thursday when there's a very rare day off. And nobody knows those days off better than I do. Um, baseball has always been that way. Baseball is a constant companion and best friend to the people who attach themselves to it. And so when it all comes to a screeching halt, as it did for the Blue Jays, the effect is profound. It, it's, it's a little different than the other sports. You can see the end of the season coming in most of the other professional sports. In baseball, sometimes you don't. Uh, because it goes every single day. And I've heard the same thing about the Olympics. People have told me that for the two weeks of an Olympics, they become so attached that when it ends, they feel like crying. And I've heard baseball is the same way for some people, that it's almost as if they've had this six-month visit from a cherished family member, and suddenly that family member has just up and decided to move back to Vancouver Island. And maybe I'll see you again, and maybe I won't. Um, and that's the beauty of this game. It's also why it generates such heartbreak on so many occasions. Yeah, you know, that that's the bottom line, Jamie. You know, I covered the PCL here for six seasons, and it was a 142-game schedule. And it is. It, 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 it's an ongoing... Uh, four games at a time, generally speaking, in, in the old PCL. You're in one town for four games or somebody's at your place for four and that can turn into eight and that turns into 12 and 16. I mean, they only play 18 games in a CFL season. Uh, mm -hmm. 18 games is a good long road trip in your first homestand back uh, in in baseball. That, that ebb and flow. So then when it ends, it's like... I guess you saw it coming and you know what's at stake, but you're so caught up in a flow as opposed to an individual game that when it comes, you go, holy crap, it's over. Or holy mm -hmm. crap, now we're playing tomorrow again. You know what's fun about uh, covering the PCL, and I was there with both of you in the press box at John Ducey and later Tellus Field, and as much as the folks who buy tickets and bought tickets back then loved going and seeing those seven or 10 game homestands, it's the players in AAA who really don't want to be there. That's yeah, true. 
And and as long as that message doesn't get across <laughs> to the fan base, that's okay. But I've, I've never met a more surly bunch, as I'm sure you two did, yeah. in dealing with triple-A players. Double-A is totally different. Double-A is I'm on the up-and-coming. I'm on the rise. Maybe I'll get my shot at the big leagues one day. Triple-A is... I got there, I couldn't stay there, and now I got to make a living here riding the buses to El Paso. So uh, that was one of the funner <laughs> aspects of covering Trappers baseball yeah, for several man. years. You, you, you know what? That that brings back so many so many uh, memories, Jamie. Um, Toronto fans may remember Junior Felix. Well, mm-hmm. Junior showed up in Edmonton as part of the Marlins, and he was unhappy. I mean. You, they don't want to be here. Triple A is for guys on the way down or on the way up. The uh, guys on the way up aren't so bad. It's the guys who've been there. Um, Junior Felix crapped all over the Marlins, and they released him within two, 48 hours because both papers wrote him up and down because we were looking at each other like, he knows this is on the record, right? And he just <laughs> shot all over the organization, Man. and they let him go. I remember talking to Big Slugger. You guys would remember him. He didn't have a long run. Sam Horn. Mm-hmm. He was a bull. And I went to talk to him, and he was still wearing the heavy. He had the uh, Mr. T starter kit on, eh, with his <laughs> uniform. Had the, you know... I just, I got within 10 feet of him and he says, he put up his hand. He says, not talking to you. He'd Mm. just come down. That was it. He didn't want to be, I didn't blame him. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want to talk to me. And that he made that clear. That happened so many times in that, in those clubhouses, whether it was old Ducey or, or, or Telus Field. And you got to understand that dynamic. Nobody wants to be in AAA. And staying with that. And this is one of the reasons why, after everything had come to its conclusion, I'm thinking about the future of this ball club in Toronto and what's down on the farm and what they've got now and the guys are developing. you got to be pretty pumped up about it because there's a lot of upside here. Yeah, there is. Um, Some guys have to be signed. Well, so that's the interesting thing. Yes. Right? Um, this this organization might well be a regular um, participant in the postseason. I expect they will be. I would love to think in the next five years they're legitimately competing for a World Series. Hmm. But but I don't think it's going to be with the faces that you were witnessing this year. You know, I, I can't imagine that both Marcus Simeon and Robbie Ray are coming back. At some point, they may need to prioritize where they're directing their money and who they're directing it at in that respect. Um, Because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at some point relatively soon is going to have to become likely the highest paid player in baseball. Bo Bichette, who I think finished the season, if I'm not mistaken, with the third most hits in Major League Baseball, is going to have to get paid at some point. Teoscar Hernandez is going to have to get paid at some point. You can see what happens when you foster this group of really good young players as they start to develop tenure in the major leagues. They get more and more expensive, and that makes it difficult to go out on the free agent market and give $150 million to whoever the George Springer is two or three or four years from now. So I'm glad I'm not the... um, 
the bean counter, so to speak, at Rogers, who has to decipher exactly how much the payroll is going to be in two or three years, because yes, they may contend. And yes, this team has future World Series participant written all over it. But boy, oh boy, is it going to cost a lot of money. You just described the Edmonton Oilers from the 1990s, actually. Sure. Yeah. what you were doing there. Well, that's the thing is you got to prioritize because like Jamie said, these guys need to get paid. Now, when I look at possible weaknesses and you talk about players, is Robbie Ray more important at this point? If, if you have to choose, because to me, the, the Jays need uh, some better arms and he's one that they've already got. Uh, is that is that a, a bad take or I don't well, I don't technically see, they you, don't now, right? Technically huh? they don't have him because he's a free agent. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so here's what, what the Blue Jays have in their favor, and that is that he quickly resigned last year because he knew that Pete Walker had helped him find something that wasn't there in Arizona. His time in Arizona at the end, he was walking more batters than anybody in baseball, and now he doesn't walk anybody, which is why he might give up a lot of home runs, but they're all solo shots for the most part because there's never anybody on base when they're hit out of the ballpark. And you know as well as I do, when you're around the strike zone as often as Robbie Ray is, you're going to give up a home run from time to time. So the question now becomes, what kind of an impact did the city, the franchise, and the pitching coach have on Robbie Ray, but maybe more importantly, pitchers are so difficult to forecast because I remember Fergie Jenkins, the great Hall of Famer from Chatham, Ontario, told mm-hmm. me there are really, truly only so many bullets in every arm, and he just figured out a way of being able to make his work for 20 or so years and forged a Hall of Fame career. So I think what people are asking themselves in the Blue Jays front office these days is, you know, how much is left in Robbie Ray? What is that arm going to be able to do a year or two or three years from now if he is on the market saying, I'm looking for a four-year deal? Because with pitchers, and you saw a wee bit of a regression from Hyunjin Ryu at the end of the season. Yeah. Well, he's only in the second year of a four-year deal. With pitchers, you tend to overpay for the first couple of years on a deal and then have to pay for two and sometimes three years where they won't be nearly as effective as they were when they first joined your club. So I think the Blue Jays have to be ultra careful with Robbie Ray and how they approach him if they do so as a free agent. At the same time, go out and look and see where's that next magical arm. The way, say, the San Francisco Giants got the absolute best out of Kevin Gosman this year who is that guy going to be in 2022 that's currently pitching with somebody else or currently becoming a free agent that we can go and sign, you know, almost like a Noah Syndergaard? Is Noah Syndergaard Cy Young caliber if he uh, ends up moving away from the New York Mets and signing elsewhere? Maybe that's the kind of arm you're looking for in the free agent market in the offseason. As fun as it was to watch the Jays and the Orioles, at a certain point it had blowout going for it. So now you flip over to the Yankees and the Marlins and the Sox and the Nationals and watching those games a lot closer down the stretch in the afternoon. The moment it went to the bottom of the ninth inning at Yankee Stadium, and this is me, 
I'm thinking, well, of course the Yankees are going to win this because it's the bottom of the ninth at Yankee Stadium. The power of that mentally has got to be – the Marlins gave them all they could handle. But you just knew they were going to find a way to win it in the bottom of the ninth because that's what they always seem to do. And you talk about some ballparks having that magic. And even though this is a new Yankee Stadium – that tradition just seems to carry over. I don't know why. I, I, I never doubted for a second they were going to find a way to win it in the bottom of the ninth. Well, in the bottom of the ninth started when the most hated opposing player in the history of Toronto Blue Jays baseball, as far as I can tell, Rugned Odor, yeah. ends up with the base hit, right? He's the guy that gets on base first. And then one of the nicest men you'll ever meet in baseball, uh, Anthony Rizzo, ends up driving in... Um, uh, advancing the pinch runner to third. And then it's, of course, Aaron Judge is going to figure out a way of getting yeah. hard contact. So, so yeah, that, that, that one stung a little bit. But are we, honestly, were we really expecting the Tampa Bay Rays, who had locked in their postseason appearance, you know, days earlier to sweep the Yankees? Like, that's, that's a lot to ask of a team that's already comfortably ensconced in the number one seed. Um, and I said to Dan Schulman yesterday prior to the game, I really think the Tampa Bay Rays are going all out to try and sweep New York because they love this chaos. It's to their advantage. Sure. If there were, right, two, two play-in games today, if there were two tiebreakers going on, that's to their advantage because everybody else's pitching staff is going to get wrecked. And the next thing you know, someone was going to have to limp into Tropicana Field and probably throw a bullpen day in game one of the division series. So they wanted that to happen. Tampa Bay was trying to beat New York in that respect. And then that Red Sox victory, I thought the pitching for the Red Sox in the early half of that game was horrible. But their defense and their offense just they just keep pecking away and pecking away. And then the, then the Nationals became the Nationals. They were both very much fun to watch, both those games. Okay. Chris Sale gets knocked out yeah. two and a third, and you're thinking, oh, the you know the the so-called baseball gods are shining here, but that's a Washington Nationals team that's not remotely close to the club that won the World Series two years ago. They really do, really only have one dangerous hitter in their lineup, and that's Juan Soto. So even at five to one, I thought, boy, it would be it would be something if Washington hung on, but I'm not expecting it against a really talented Red Sox team. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing was, is that Cora went and got two starters out of his bullpen to win that game. First Eduardo Rodriguez. And then Nick Pavetta, who's from Victoria, BC. I, I have never, never wanted to see failure from a Canadian major leaguer as much as I wanted Nick Pavetta to cough up three or four runs yeah. In that ninth inning. With all due respect to Nick, who I met when he was with the uh, junior national team about 10 years ago. Um, boy, I was rooting hard against Boston then. Just because, look, whether the Blue Jays were to advance to the wild card or not, or even beyond the wild card, doesn't matter. It's it's you want to see this excitement continue for another day and another day and another day and another day. Jamie, I'm surprised uh, at how good, how quickly uh, Bichette and Guerrero uh, have become. Um, and when I look at them, and there's better, there, there's more good players on that club, don't get me wrong, but uh, different sport, different circumstances. I look at the challenges the Oilers have had here. Uh, 
surrounding Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid with the rest of the cast. I won't say supporting cast because there can be some dynamite players in that group. Um, what do the Blue Jays have to do uh, to make hay while these two terrific players are still just entering prime time, really? Mm -hmm. They have to do what they did this past offseason and make savvy moves like signing someone like Robbie Ray, mm -hmm. um, like signing someone like Marcus Simeon. Who knows who those players are going to be? And those players don't always work out. We've seen countless occasions in the past where large contracts were given to players who terribly, terribly underperform. Um, from a grassroots perspective, though, they are going to need to continue to rely on their farm system and have pitchers like Alec Manoa. I don't know where this team would be if they didn't bring up a rookie named Alec Manoa in May who ended up pitching in and winning really important games for them. My concern with the Blue Jays is they have a lot of good prospects still, but they don't have a pitcher who is knocking on the door of opportunity right now the way they used to have Marcus Stroman followed by Aaron Sanchez, followed by, you know, the next great pitcher. That might be Nate Pearson, but Nate Pearson still has a lot of learning to do at the big league level. Beyond Pearson and Manoa, they do not have one pitcher right now in the higher levels of the minors who's waiting to join the rotation as early as next season. Because the guy that was closest in that respect was Simeon Woods Richardson, who was packaged off to Minnesota in the Jose Barrios deal. So that's a bit of a concern. Um, so there is some work to do in that respect. Hey, before we start talking about some other sports or anything that's on your plate, let's talk about what's ahead now for you. Because while the Blue Jays have stopped playing, there's still a lot of baseball to go here, right? Yeah, this is the uh, what we used to call the Swiss Chalet stage of the season for us. <laughs> Better explain <laughs> because, that one. Well, back in the days when I worked with Greg Zahn and we didn't care much about uh, our personal dietary intake, we'd get we'd go into the studio and do every conceivable playoff game and order out Swiss chalet pretty well every night quarter, half chicken, um, which what was it? Oh, half chicken all the time. I mean, go big or go home. Right. <laughs> uh, those days have changed, but it's still the fall and it's still cool. And the, and the colors of the trees are changing and really important games are being played that may not involve the blue Jays, but we'll still be there. So, Joe Siddle and I get one day to rest, and then it's uh, it's Wild Card Tuesday and Wild Card Wednesday. And just before we do move on, as the uh, the last of the three games wrapped up, and it looked like the Jays' season was over, this one little piece of music came to mind for me last night from The Price Is Right. <laughs> I just I've been I've had that locked and loaded since we yeah, started. I can tell. Yeah, I can tell you planned that out nicely. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, so now other than baseball, anything in sports catching your uh, catching your attention these days? Although you've been so focused here over the last thirty days on what's going on with the Jays, but are you able to kind of see what else is happening out there, or no? Well, you know, I'm going to disappoint you greatly and say a couple of things, and this is why I I I, I, I misremembered that the uh, the local football team in Edmonton had changed their name. I haven't watched yeah. football in eight years, I think. 
Um, I, I am awaiting the end of the baseball season so I can start religiously watching my co-favorite hockey team in the National Hockey League, the Edmonton Oilers. Um, and I have become, and, and, and honestly, I, I, I latched onto this in 1977 when I was 10 years old, and it has been, it has come flooding back into my life again. And, and with great joy, um, I, I wake up every other Sunday morning and turn on Formula One, and there's no getting me off the couch. And the kids can come down, and I'll tell them to get their own breakfast because I am not turning away from those races, too. So my viewing habits when it's not baseball center on Formula One racing and uh, the Edmonton Oilers and Ottawa Senators, my two favorite teams in the NHL. Well, you, you just mentioned two clubs at opposite ends of the spectrum there, Jamie. Uh, well, yeah, okay, okay. No, one one's at a, at a, a higher level than the other, but one's coming. I, one I believe down, that, too. That one down there, they're coming. I, I warned Robin about that last year. I said the Ottawa Senators, now the Edmonton Oilers have got their number this season, but Ottawa is going to F up a few teams' playoff run chances down the stretch, and I believe they did that. <laughs> he's he's shaking. Gonna, he's shaking me off. Okay, that's fine. They're gonna go. They're gonna go from absolutely brutal to just bad. Uh, Can I tell you guys this? Yeah. You got. You guys both know I'm Toronto born and raised, right? Correct. You know that. Yeah. Well, Oakville. Oakville's not Toronto. Anyway, my love of the Oilers came when I moved to Edmonton and covered that team for CBC and learned what it was like. To, to live in a city that isn't the so-called center of the universe. Yes. Right? Yeah. And then after I was finished uh, in Edmonton, I moved to Ottawa, and the same thing happened. It is different to be the fan of a team in a city in Canada that isn't Toronto, and the only way to understand it for a, from a Torontonian perspective is to move out of Toronto and experience it. And that's where my my genuine appreciation of the Oilers and Ottawa Senators comes from. Well, I still remember you meeting a guy whose voice you would hear on television announcing goals by the name of Mark Lewis. And you met Mark mm -hmm. for the first time. It's like me meeting uh, Paul Morris, who had been doing <laughs> Toronto Maple Leaf goals, scored by number 14. Those are these are the guys that that's yeah. part of the soundtrack of your life. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know? It's yeah. it's pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. And the and the quote and the Northlands Coliseum yes. was other than Maple Leaf Gardens watching games on TV from the gardens, the Northlands Coliseum was always my favorite um secondary place to watch a game. For two reasons. One, the Oilers were, you know, the dominant team of my childhood. Uh, but two, the lighting was spectacular at the Coliseum, the Northlands Coliseum. <laughs> Just as it was at Maple Leaf Gardens, it was almost lit for an opera or a stage show of some kind. And for some reason, I love that way more, with all due respect to folks in Calgary, than watching games from the Saddle Dome. You know, Jamie, I got to be honest about being a bit hard on Ottawa. Uh, yeah, you have been. <laughs> bit of a bit of a funny story because I'm from Vancouver. Um, I a buddy and I went out to we were going to see the world and 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 find our fortune. We took the train from Vancouver to Ottawa. 
Wow. He had, a, he had family in Ottawa. The first time I ever came to Edmonton was on the way to Ottawa, on down at the CN station there. Stopped there. We were of age, so it was 25 or 30 below. We ran outside not knowing where we were, looking for a liquor store so we could get some booze on the on the uh, train because we weren't legally old enough to be in the bar car. Mm-hmm. Um, got to Ottawa. I lived in Ottawa for four months. I lived uh, down by the Rideau Canal. Uh, I hung around on Bank Street. I walked the Spark Street Mall long before there were no senators then. It's a cool little town, and I, you know what? It's a cool little team. I, I think, hey, down the road, if they improve like they did at the end of the year, I'll saying it seriously, like Bryn said, they did get better. They got from really bad to only <laughs> mediocre, but they got Kachuk. They got some nice young players there. Um, I would love to see a success story in, in what's one of the remaining small markets. That's kind of you to say, Robin. You know, they were in a Stanley Cup final more recently than the Oilers. Yes, they were. You know, if Lotta Hitchmanova were here today, what would she say on, uh, what was it, 44 Spark Street? Uh, I can't remember what it was. but That's anyway. no... That's no shot, though, Jamie. I'm not. I, I'm a. I don't. I'm not an Oiler fan. It does not hurt me to know that the Oilers have not been in the Stanley Cup final. And that's not a shot because I am an Oiler fan. And uh, and 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 anytime somebody says, "Well, how come you're not a Leaf fan?" and I say, "Do you realize that the last time the Leafs made a Stanley Cup final, it was in the black and white era. There, there was no such thing as color television. For Just coming sake. out. We didn't have yeah. one." We had, we you know, watched that on black and white. I'm with you. What's what's funny too, fellas, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. The last time I was actually a fan, in other words, when I was getting out of J school and they they beat the fan out of you and you must do the job as a reporter now. Yeah. The team I loathed more than any other was the team I ended up covering, the Edmonton Oilers, because mm. they would come out and beat the shit out of the Vancouver Canucks for fun. For fun. Yeah. And I thought, who are these arrogant pricks on this team? I can't stand them. I knew they were great, but they were just so damn good. They, they got under my skin. And then I end up in this town covering the hockey club. I've had a good laugh about with some of the older guys about that, like Kevin Lowe, like Mac T. It's funny how things work out. Hey, before we let you go, who do you like in the World Series right now? Is it, it? It's to me. It just seems like the way things have gone here. I really don't know who to pick. Did you see my reaction? Yeah, I did. That's why I asked you. Come on, Ben. How long have we known each other? I know it's tough. It, it, it's it's really tough. I I always say, please, no prognostications. I love how people walk up to you on the street and say, well, I know who's going to win the World Series. Oh, really? Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Did did you really know the Rays were going to get there in 2008? Are you you telling me you knew Washington was going to win it in 2019? I'm sorry. No. So you know who's going to win the World Series? I'll tell you who's going to win the World Series. The best team on the day? The best team this coming month. Gotcha. Hey, thanks for your time today. This is the, fantastic. The one team, the one team oh. that scores more runs than anybody else Hang this on. next month is going to win Let me write that series. one down here. I yeah. gotta put that. <laughs> Take that to your bookie. 
Hey, uh, thanks. We look forward to seeing you wander out our way sometime this winter. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. But hey, get your friends to get a shot, and I'll come out and visit. For goodness sake! Oh, Robin, and I'll be talking about that coming up in a split second. Hey, thanks. This has been great. Great to see you guys. I don't know about you, but waking up this morning, it it is a little on the brisk side. It's obviously the month of October. And you know what? I was chatting with Brent McIntosh from the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. And we're talking about the real estate year that was, even though we still have a few more months to go. But it's been a pretty good year. And Brent is actually selling a property for a very good friend of mine. And we're finding that things are kind of hopping. And we love that. So obviously, there's still time to trade your current home for a larger one. Maybe your household is feeling a little small with your current family roster. Well, the team over at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City, they can help you with the sale of your place and the purchase of your next superstar. Yeah, it's pretty simple. All you have to do is check them out online at macintoshgroup.ca. You can also give them a call at 780-464-0075. Hey, you can start the process with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation and no deadline for this offer, so don't let the market pass you by. Both buyers and sellers can give the Macintosh Group a ring. As I mentioned, here's the number, 780-464-0075. That's the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. Or you can also find them at macintoshgroup.ca and tell them the outsider sent you. So Jamie Campbell brought it today on The Outsiders. This is Podcast 77. I thought that was a very, very refreshing and very solid review of the way their season went. And it was all over the place. But at the end of the day, just fall one game short, Robin. And it was uh, it was fun to watch down the stretch in particular. Yes. And it was when you talk about uh, Jamie bringing it, uh, the best part, which our listeners won't see yet at this point, was he called it an eye roll. Uh, no, he literally threw his head back and collapsed when you asked him who he liked the rest, who was going to win it the rest of the way. In other words, hey, pal, I don't have a crystal ball. He that has, was a highlight. Oh, he has always hated that. So that was basically me just throwing it against the wall to watch his reaction. And that, for me, I wish that this was a video thing, but we'll get to that here soon enough. But... I just uh, I loved it. It was uh, it was quite entertaining. He sent me a note a couple of seconds ago, actually, uh, reminding me that uh, he hates that and a big LOL at the end of it. So, hey, uh, before we go, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. One, the Canadian Football League. Yep. I have not really enjoyed the season so far, but this past weekend there were two games on Saturday. We had Hamilton and Montreal and Saskatchewan and Calgary. Both games. Started slow, but came on big at the end. And I actually watched both games from start to finish. That is the first time this season 
that I've watched two games from start to finish. I haven't been interested in watching teams kick field goals. And there really hasn't been a ton of offense. That's my perception. I'm sure you could go back and take a look at the stats and prove me wrong. My perception is it's nothing more than watching teams trade field position and kick field goals. I have not enjoyed the CFL season so far, but this weekend's kind of got me jacked up again. And that's a good thing, Robin. Well, I tell you what, Bryn, I'm with you and maybe with you and then some. I have not been uh, excited about the CFL since they got back at it. Um, I don't know what it is. I, I, I haven't much liked the Elks. I haven't much liked the Elks for, uh, reasons beyond what's happening on the field, to be honest. Um, and they just haven't grabbed me and I've loved the CFL for a long time. I mean, I've loved the CFL since I was in, you know, the, the, uh, Vancouver Virgin or version of, the uh, you know the discount tickets for the little kids at Old Empire Stadium. Uh, when <laughs> I've loved the CFL since Tom Wilkinson was a BC Lion. Oh my God! But uh, I tell you what, they've lo- they lost me a little bit uh, this year, just because of the delay. It's not the COVID's not their fault, but it is their problem. And I don't know how they get back and grab everybody's attention because so far uh, they haven't grabbed mine. Well, the weird part is I thought after a year off, I would be so hungry to watch the product that I would just gravitate back to it as fast as possible. And that didn't happen. And so then I started taking a look at the the fact that maybe being off for a year, out of sight, out of mind, and that I think my give a shit meter was really, really low. And uh, I, I, I don't, I, like I said, I'm hoping that the two games I watched this past weekend kind of get me uh, jacked up a little bit because now here we go. We're into the month of October. The Grey Cup is coming up that uh, is the first or second week in December. It's going to be a little brisk, but yep. uh, I'm hoping that'll kind of jack things up a little bit for me from an emotional standpoint. Hey, one of the reasons why you were not that in love with the Elks, is it because of the COVID episode? Is that is that fair to say? Is that some of it? Yeah, yeah that's part of it. Um I don't like some of the front office decisions they made either, Brent, uh, to be honest. Are you talking about Dwayne Mandrusiak? Yes, I am. Okay. Primary one for me. That's that's a big one. I don't like it a bit. Yeah. I thought it was classless, and Dwayne would never say that. Uh, Dwayne would never come out and, and say anything bad about this organization that he worked faithfully for for, was it 47 years at last count, or... Or was he just on the cusp of 50? Either way. 49 years. Yeah. Dwayne not being there and the reasons for it, uh, I'm not that enamored with it. Really kind of did it for you. I know some people have just been turned off by the name change. I'm not one of those. I I, I moved on. I think that that was the right call. We we don't have to go down that road. I do want to go down the COVID road, though, for a second here because – in Edmonton, we've just gone through the jo- Josh Archibald situation with the Oilers. Do you want to tell everybody exactly? Because not everybody around the country is familiar with what's going on. Do you want to break that one down? Well, Josh Archibald, you know, he told the Oilers he didn't intend to get uh, uh, vaccinated. He, you know, on his social media timeline, he talked about, you know, he was in 
you know, is it a conspiracy? Was COVID planned? I didn't like that much at all. His choice is his choice as far as being vaccinated goes. But now it turns out that he has had COVID and he's suffering from myocarditis, a condition that affects the heart. And it looks like he's going to be out for the season. And I hope that it's not longer. And I hope that his career isn't over. I think he made a terrible decision, but it was his decision to make. But now his career is in jeopardy. And we also are watching this whole Duncan Keith thing roll out where he was very late in getting his vaccinations done and it cost him some time in training camp. And now he's at last report. I think he's playing tonight against the, the Oilers are hosting the flames at Rogers place. I believe he's actually uh, suiting up for this one, but the only thing that's bothered me about the Duncan Keith thing, other than the obvious vaccination stumble is the fact that, I didn't like the way he played out the, the media conference. Ryan Rashog asked him, I thought a great question, well-worded, but you've, uh, you used the term read the room, and I think that that's probably a fair assessment of the way that all played out over the weekend. Yeah, and you know what? Again, Duncan Keith, uh, at the bottom line, uh, was vaccinated, and he needed the one dose is at the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. So, you know what? He took some time to decide if he wanted to be vaccinated. And, you know, I guess he didn't feel like he was supported by the NHLPA. But when he brought that out right away, um, you know what? And it's a free country, Brent. It's a, it's a, it's a fine line. He got the vaccination. Um, but when it's your you're, you're out in front of the media live for the first time of an organization that's brought you in at 5 million bucks a year for the next two years. And you go beyond just saying, you know what? It was a, a decision for me that took a while. Uh, at the, at the end, I decided it made sense for me to get the vaccination made sense for my family. I'm here and I'm ready to go. Leave it at that. But to get into some of the things he did, and people can listen to the news conference uh, if they want to on the Oilers website, um, right out of the blocks, I thought it was a bit much. Well, he didn't seem like he was prepped. You had to know that question was going to come up, and you had to know, how am I going to spin this? Because these days in sports, optics is essential. Not just what you do on the field or what you do on the ice. You now have to say the right things. And Lord knows we've heard plenty about everybody saying Connor McDavid looks like he's very conscious about, almost overly conscious about what he's saying because he knows how it's going to be played. Well, he gets the optics portion of it, but I just, I thought Duncan could have played it just a little bit better the other day. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing, the thing is that, uh, uh, you, you know, the question was going to come and you can't get around it. When you're late for your first training camp and the team has announced it's because you're in quarantine. Well, you know, were you in quarantine because you had COVID? Were you in quarantine because of uh, the restrictions coming up from the states? Uh, because, uh, you know, you're getting vaccinated? Like, it was going to come. It wasn't like nobody knew. Yeah. And he all of a sudden, he brought it up. Well, by the way, I'm not a big fan of us having to get vaccinated to play hockey. Um, you know, he could 
he, he could have been smoother with it. And had he been coached, I mean, he, you know, he's got an agent. Hey, Annie, you know what? He's a veteran. He's not a kid like a, uh, in the league where, you know, a deer in the headlights kind of thing. He's a veteran. I'm sure he said what he wanted to say. I'm not sure whether it was the smartest thing to say. But you know what? He's here. He's vaccinated. And he's ready to play. So you move on from that. Yeah. The Archibald thing is much different. I hope this young man has not damaged his health. Uh, First and foremost, right? We got to point that out. First and foremost. Damaged his health so that his life outside the game and in a second, far secondary way, his life inside the game, his income and his employment um, is impacted. And you and I discussed this, Bryn, and, and, you know, it would be nice if this was live because you like to get the feedback. I don't understand. Uh, I'll put it as diplomatically as I can. Don't just blurt it out. That's how I want you to say it. It's these decisions are the decisions that the individual, whether it's a hockey player or uh, a person working in a warehouse, it's their decision to make. It might not be the decision that you and I make, but decisions have consequences. What I don't like is if you don't want to get vaxxed and businesses, uh, be it entertainment, that you want to go watch hockey, they say, okay, well, if you're, you know, we can't tell you what to do. We can't stick a needle in your arm. But if you don't, here's what happens. You, there are consequences. And what I don't get, and Archibald didn't say this, it's a bigger picture thing. And I know I'm delving outside the pure sports angle. You don't get to say, well, you can say it. I think it's a misnomer. This my body, my choice thing. I don't like that some anti-vaxxers have taken this away from really what started as uh, we're talking about uh, women's rights, the right to have an abortion, the right to, you know, make decisions about their own body. That's where my body, my choice comes from. And that's as legitimate as it gets. And they certainly don't need my approval for that to be true. It's not just your body, your choice when your choice can impact the person next to you. If you have COVID and you pass it along to a neighbor, to a child, um, to whoever, look where we are, Bryn, and everybody, uh, wherever you're going to listen to this. But in Alberta, look at our numbers. It's a joke. And it's, it's irresponsible, a, Robin. Irresponsible. And it's not a political thing. We don't need to get into that. It is, I don't understand what could happen in your life that would make you say, no, I'm not getting vaccinated. I'll put my my health and my career in jeopardy. I'm not getting vaccinated. I understand people don't like government telling them what to do. But to the point of putting yourself in danger, this is not you must wear a seatbelt. This is not you must have a driver's license before you drive a car. This is... Uh, this impacts other people. Your decision to say, yes, I'm going to listen or no, I'm not, goes beyond your right. You impact other people. And that's where your right to do whatever you damn well please stops. Well, the Canadian Charter of Rights, yes, you have personal rights. 
However, there's only one thing that supersedes your personal rights, and that is the, uh, it's the right of society. So you got to look at the big picture here. I've got a handful of friends who are not vaccinated that I can't be near. I can't be around. I now refer to them laughingly and lovingly as opera singers. I learned that when I worked at the Oilers. Few of the Oilers guys said, that guy's an opera singer. And I go, what are you talking about? Me, 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 me. And uh, it it, it was Todd Marchant, the one who's the guy who taught me that one. But I I guess at the end of the day here, uh, everybody's got their own choices, but I think you also have to look out for everybody else. And, you know, I think that you've got to just make that determination yourself. Whatever you decide, that's fine. I just can't hang around people like that because I'm one of those people who's battling cancer and I have to be really, really careful. Hey, before we go, just one last thing. And I love this. This is from the Canadian Soccer uh, Association here. Team Canada, Alfonso Davies and the men's team are going to be playing two World Cup qualifying matches in Edmonton in November. One (laughs) against Costa Rica and the other against Mexico. Can I just say this? Long overdue, Canadian Soccer Association. We were dragged so many years through Costa Rica in the middle of the summer where the temperatures and the high humidity were a killer. We were dragged through Mexico by the Mexican soccer people at the high altitude of Mexico City at Azteca Stadium in high temperatures. They made everything as miserable as they possibly could for Team Canada to pull us down. Well, guess what? Edmonton in the middle of November. Will people turn out? Absolutely. To watch Alfonso Davies, that'll be a blast. If it's going to be snowy and a little cold, guess what? I really don't give a shit. I'm going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. And if if Costa Rica and Mexico start to bitch whine and complain about it, once again, we win. And I hope I hope we do. I, I think this team right now has got a great chance of qualifying for the next World Cup next year. And I say bring it on. So there I vented. Are you okay? You, you, th- you think it's a matter of... If, when we're talking November, if there's no if here, Brent. <laughs> well, I'm hoping it's going to be just, I'd like to have just a little bit of sharpness to the air. If there's yeah. a little bit of snow, bring it on. I really don't care. But like I said, I just want to watch these other countries just come up here and, and complain about it because we've been complaining for years about the fact that they're dragging us through their, uh, their good season and they have a dis- distinct advantage over the Canadian guys. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it works out. Somebody, somebody chirped me the other day and said, well, the soccer won't be very good. Guess what? I really don't care. It's all about winning at this point. I want to qualify. And I think it's a, it's long overdue. The Canadian soccer association forced some of these other countries to put up with a little bit of our weather. Cause they've made us do it for decades. There you go. Robin, let's wrap this baby up. I uh, got to say a few things about uh, the podcast as we get ready to, Head into the start of a National Hockey League season. Make sure you check us out on Twitter. The handles are really simple, at Outsiders2020. Make sure you tell your friends about our show and also subscribe to our RSS feed on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Deezers, and we're also on YouTube. And we, uh, we are lucky enough that we are able to continue to use Zoom. Robin is... What do you call your home office? The home office, or is there a, is there a Brownlee Studios? Do you have a nickname for your place there? No, <laughs> I have no name. And hey, when we go, uh, when we go uh, audio and visual, I may change. Right now, this is uh, 
Robin's dining room that never gets used. You know how you use that? You use that for holidays yeah. when family is over, Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving. So, uh, no, but there, there shall be the studio shall be put together uh, downstairs in the uh, home office. Yeah. Uh, once we're that, we've got the visual component to the uh, show. See, and by see, the way, I only see you from the waist up. I I don't even know if you're wearing pants, and I don't even uh, want to know. We we don't need to know that you know what uh, another thing so the answer Brendan, is no yes you throw this out there and and uh, i i seldom reiterate uh, you know we're going into another season here if there's anybody interested in talking to us about what they like or what they don't like uh i'll put this out there too uh you can reach me on twitter uh you know you can go through the outsiders first but you can reach my account if you, and maybe you follow me already at Robin underscore uh, Brownlee. If you want to, if you want to offer some feedback, if you're a business that might like to come on board because you like what we do and you'd like to be a part of it and you've got an inquiry, uh, please inquire to Bryn, inquire to the outsiders or get a hold of me. You can message me uh, if you want, or send me a tweet on Twitter. I'd be happy to talk about it because Brent and I are looking down the road too, and uh, you guys out there are a part of that. Well, it's also taking up way more of our time than it did when we first started. So, if we can get a little bit of support from everybody, that would be uh, that would be a welcome thing. The other thing too, I'm lucky enough. Uh, I'm recording my portion of this from the Road 55 Studio in downtown Edmonton. So, uh, anyway, that uh, that kind of sums it up. By the way, I I want to send a dedication out today. We we don't normally do this, but I'm dedicating today's episode to my dad who would have been celebrating another birthday today. Lost him 33 years ago. Huge supporter of mine, obviously. I always wish you could have seen more of what I've done with my career. But I I guess uh, if you're one of those people, and I am one of these people, I I do feel that he's watching from the best seat in the house. So that's my dedication today. Robin, thanks for your time. This has been great. Uh, I've really enjoyed it today. Absolutely, man. We'll do it again. Yep. Next podcast coming up. Next week as we, oh, by the way, we're going into a long weekend. So we're coming back on the Tuesday, not on the Thanksgiving Monday. So enjoy the holiday long weekend and get ready for the start of the NHL season. Talk to everybody later. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Oh, <laughs> my